Welcome to Full Circle, everyone, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Media Apprenticeship Program here at KPFA. Yes, welcome. I'm Audio Desperado, Ephraim Colbert, and tonight I reconnect with Free Willen Franklin, who will sh- uh, share some additional information and sounds we gathered at Standing Rock. He was part of a KPFA crew made up of folks from Full Circle, Flashpoints, and La Onda Baita, whose mission was to spread the knowledge about the standoff involving Dapple, and thousands of indigenous people and their supporters known as water protectors. That's right, Desperado. On tonight's show, we'll hear from the Water Protector Legal Collective and learn of the conditions they work under, fulfilling their mission to serve the legal needs of the water protectors. We'll also hear from Sage Trudell, daughter of American Indian activist and KPFA producer John Trudell, as she presents the spirit of her father at Standing Rock. We'll also get an update on a local battle for sacred... uh, We'll also get an update on a local battle for sacred ground right here in Berkeley. All that tonight on Full Circle. We're your host. I'm Free Will and Franklin. And I'm Audio Desperado. Stay with us. circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. Before we get started, we want to thank everyone who donated over the last two weeks. We couldn't keep KPFA and Pacifica on the air without you. Also, a big shout out to all the phone room volunteers and to our staff who always seem to pull together to get the best thank you gifts. We want to let you all know that if you wanted to donate and didn't get a chance to call in, you can still donate online at kpfa.org. Many of the thank you gifts will be available there. Yes, uh, tonight is part two of our Standing Rock coverage provided by Free Will and Franklin, who returned from some, with some fresh recordings gathered at Standing Rock of the peaceful, prayerful Water Protectors battle against Dapple and the Black Snake. For months, Water Protectors have gathered in camps to support the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe as they gather to protect the Missouri River and its tributaries from possible contamination from a proposed pipeline that is slated to tunnel under the river thus creating an environmental disaster and threatening the drinking water of 17 million people downstream. 
Since our last update, a couple of notable events have happened, one being the denial of the easement by the Obama administration to drill under the river. Woo! We have a a small victory here. We know the fight's not over. And um, on a sad note, there was actually an oil pipeline rupture in North Dakota. It's something that's highlighted, again, the need to stop this proposed Dakota Access Pipeline. Yes. The spill dumped over 130,000 gallons into a creek, just about 150 miles from the water protector's camp. But fortunately, the spill never reached the main fork of the Little Missouri River. That's according to the North Dakota Health Department. We will try and talk more about this later, including the fact that the electronic leak detection didn't alert pipeline operators to the leak. It, in fact, was discovered randomly by a local landowner. Let's get into the first interview. Not much news from Standing Rock gets out in the mainstream news beyond the sensational, violent attacks by police, private security, and National Guard. But as we know, the water protectors do use direct action to halt business as usual. And doing so, there have been over 500 people arrested, and 160 of them have been charged with felonies. Frank, something I've always wanted to know is how do you get a felony, and what do you do when you are charged, and what happens to you? Well, audio, just in time to answer these questions and more, I spoke with Angela Bibbins, a licensed attorney from Colorado, also a Santee Sioux by Heritage. Angela is the lead attorney for the Water Protector Legal Collective. The protectors are out there. We're praying. We're peaceful. How do they end up with a felony? What do they end up charging these folks with when they're um, practicing peaceful prayer um, protectors? So the first group of felonies came um, from alleged lockdowns, and they were charged with felony reckless endangerment. This was based on the extraction methods that the officers had to use, which were grinders, and they were concerned that the electricity and the water involved in the grinding um, of the lockdown apparatus was what caused the reckless endangerment to the officers and the extraction team. So that's a little specious in my book. Also, the biggest group of felonies came from the October 27th, what I call the flashpoint confrontation of the sweep of the North Camp, the treaty camp, and that over 140 people were charged with conspiracy to endanger by fire. This week, we had 15 of those cases make their first appearances. Judge Feeland in Morton County District Court dismissed outright each one of those 15 felonies for those water protectors, saying that there was not even a scintilla of evidence as a foundation for probable cause for those charges to go forward, even before they were tested at a preliminary hearing. I'm taking this as a good sign for those water protectors who are scheduled for preliminary hearings on December 5th. There are over 100 water protectors who have preliminary hearings that day and I'm I'm very hopeful um, but with reservations that um, those charges could be dismissed as well. And so being that a lot of these cases were dismissed you're feeling kind of hopeful uh, what has it been like to deal with the the legal system out here in uh, aspects of the water protectors? Let me be really clear not a lot of cases have been dismissed. So far, we're talking about less than 20 out of the 
over 160 felony cases. The felonies have been dismissed, but the cases, there's been zero cases other than Amy Goodman's case that has been dismissed. So it's really still a concern. The misdemeanors for those cases were not dismissed. The cases themselves are still active and pending. So what I'm concerned about is everything out of the Morton County prosecutor's office has been overcharged, that there are no criminal defense attorneys who are assigned to these cases have gotten very much in the way of discovery, that the foundation for these charges is specious and um, flimsy, and they don't even have the evidence that they can produce to provide the foundation for the charges. And what are some of the misdemeanors that people get charged with when they're out there in service of projecting water? So the the misdemeanors started as obstruction of government function. They started as uh, disorderly conduct. There were a handful of resisting arrest cases. Somewhere around the end of September, beginning of October, those charges started to turn into engaging in a riot and inciting a riot. Still misdemeanors, but very different language. I believe that this served to sort of characterize the water protectors as a threat to the community and to the state of North Dakota as a whole. Uh, Media started looking at the demographics of the water protectors criminally charged and you know, the Bismarck Tribune ran an article about how all the different places where the water protectors were from outside, you know, labeling them as outsiders, as a threat to traditional North Dakota values. Well, this was all Aboriginal land that was taken and many, if not most of the arrests have occurred on 1851 treaty land. So, The idea that these outsiders, many who are Aboriginal, Indigenous peoples, came here from somewhere else is ridiculous. So you talked about they're not really forthcoming with evidence because they probably don't have much evidence to fight some of these cases. But in the aspect of dealing with the court, have they been, you know, working with you? Have they been making obstacles in your way to actually, you know, get through this? Or are they just burying you in paperwork and legal matters? For the court system, there's been some underhandedness that has occurred. Today, for example, there were two bond hearings that were scheduled for 3 o'clock. Our North Dakota partner, Attorney Chad Nodlin, was prepared for those bond hearings. He got to court and learned that they had held them at 2.45 because the court had heard that water protectors were coming in mass to protest at the courthouse and they wanted to avoid that kind of upheaval for the judicial process. What that in effect did was deprive these two water protectors of a protection of their rights, which they are entitled to, which is the right to counsel and their due process in the um, bond hearing. So the prosecutor got a green light to ask the court for whatever he or she wanted in terms of their bond conditions and the amount of bond set. This has happened more than once, and our um, partner attorney, Chad Nodlin, has talked to the court clerks about this sort of underhandedness, and I'm hoping that things will improve, but, I mean, these are institutions that are supposed to be upholding the law. Justice is supposed to be blind. We're not stacking the deck here. This is blatantly unfair. 
And what about some of the treatment that the protectors have been receiving during their arrests? The treatment from the point of arrest has been deplorable. The state of North Dakota put all of this money, emergency money, $6 million. They've asked for an additional $4 million to militarize their police force, asked for outs- talking about outsiders, they've asked for outside law enforcement to come in to protect this economic interest of Dakota Access building this pipeline, and they have done nothing on the back end to ensure that people could be treated with human dignity and, and basic needs met, like have food at the jail for when people need to eat. People have been deprived of food for 12 to 24 hours at a time. They've been housed in dog kennels. They have been, you know, treated with severe indignities, not given blankets, uh, adequate place to sleep. They have trucked everybody all around the state and not given us notice where to find people for hours at a time. We've gotten calls on our jail support line hotline of missing persons and we can't locate them for sometimes up to 24 hours and that is alarming on so many levels. And what about uh, what I've been hearing about sometimes when they release them, they might be in the middle of the night, maybe without proper clothing in this harsh environment. What's the word on that? Yeah, that has happened several times and to the point where it's preferable, I hate to say this, to keep people in jail for one more night rather than release them in Fargo four hours away from camp and have our jail support team driving through the middle of the night, 3 a.m., trying to get them back safely when then they themselves are run ragged. You know, we uh, on the Water Protector Legal Collective do our best to keep up with the demands. Every day there's a, you know, a new obstacle that's put in our way from the court system and the law enforcement in North Dakota that we have to try to overcome. Every time we think we have the rules figured out, the rules change. And just like a personal question, how do you feel about the water protectors and their their willingness really to, you know, go out there and risk arrest? You know, a personal opinion, if you can offer that on um, the fight out here for the right. I'll say what I say to our legal collective volunteers, and they are all volunteers at this point, that the water protectors, they are the Kichita, the Kichitawi, the, you know, indigenous uh, heroes and allies. They are the ones that are putting their, literally putting their lives at risk on the line, on the front lines to protect the sacred resource, our mini wichoni, the water, the legal collective We are staff. We are here to serve humbly to the needs of the water protectors, to protect their due process rights, to protect their human rights and dignity, and to seek justice where justice can be sought. And uh, real quickly about the staff, you know, what is the staff like? What kind of um, facilities do you have and what are you working with out here? So what I say is that I help to run a law office, law legal support services for 5,000 people out of an army tent in a war zone. And it's no exaggeration. The conditions have, the weather has turned cold. We've done everything we can to winterize this tent. It has holes in the ceiling. We are concerned about making it through the winter. Um, the, the resources have been, you know, very piecemeal. We had to put up a fundraiser page to help just be able to make sure we have enough legal pads and pens and clipboards for people to do their jail support forms, um, to have firewood to keep the tent warm so that our elders who 
who come in and need our services um, can have a warm cup of tea while they wait and um, a, a comfortable ish kind of place to sit and have the privacy to disclose what can be some very sensitive experiences, humiliating experiences like the strip search case that we're trying to build. For those of us indigenous people who are taught to value modesty, having that kind of experience is very dehumanizing and invasive and humiliating. I got Two more questions, but one to me to ask, what's the best way to help out the legal team, help out the water protectors? Sure. Go to the Water Protector Legal Collective Facebook page. There are lots of options through PayPal, fundraiser. You can make larger contributions directly to the National Lawyers Guild Foundation. Earmark that for Water Protector Legal Collective. They will take an administrative fee, but they are our fiscal agent, and we are an incorporated entity in the state of North Dakota doing business here as the Water Protector Legal Collective. Um, lastly, I would ask you, I know you're, you know, you're documenting a lot of stuff that comes in, taking detailed accounts of people's experiences. What are some of the injuries that you see people coming to you with? I'm not really privileged to comment about those particular injuries. Generally speaking, there have been people at the front lines who have been maced and beaten and had their rights abrogated. And those are the things that we are concerned about. I guess lastly, what would you say to someone that is able and willing enough to come out here and bear this winter and really wants to put themselves out there? What would you say to uh, people that are willing to do that? I say you have my eternal gratitude um, and respect for making that kind of commitment. It's not an easy choice. This isn't an easy environment in which to make that stand, but you will have our support should you choose to do that. And was there anything that you would like to add that I haven't asked you that um, you feel is important for people to know? That this is a prayer camp, that whatever um, issues from your home community, drugs, alcohol, weapons, you need to leave those behind. That is not what we are about here. We are about peaceful uh, resistance to this construction of this black snake. Um, Thank you very much, Angela Bibbins. Thank you. All right, welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA. You are tuned into our Standing Rock special report back broadcast number two. You just heard my co-host Freewill and Franklin's interview with Angela Bibbins of the Water Protector Legal Collective. And there is actually some big news coming out of North Dakota on the legal side. Yeah, a North Dakota court has convened a federal grand jury looking into the treatment of the water protectors by authorities. The Legal Collective is asking any water protectors who have received a subpoena contact the Legal Collective at 605-519-8180. They have assembled a team of lawyers to help at no cost to you. And, of course, we will link to the Legal Collective on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. This is an important time as the water protectors face the judicial system, especially in the coming age of Trump administration. Trump has vowed to handle the Dapple and the Keystone XL pipeline when he takes office. He didn't say how, just that we would, just that he would. We will stay up to date on these fights and keep you all posted. Again, you can reach the Legal Collective at 605-519-8180. Frank, what do you have next for us? Well, Audio, as I mentioned in our first report back, I stayed at the Ocheti Sokoe camp, and there I met a lot of people. 
and some of them came to speak at the main outdoor gathering area. The last day I was there, Sage Tudell came to present the spirit of her father to Standing Rock. If the name sounds familiar, Sage Trudell is the daughter of American Indian activist, poet, musician, KPFA producer, and Sante Dakota, John Trudell. John transitioned to the spirit world December 8th, 2015, and as the year of mourning came to an end, Sage wanted to present the spirit of her father at Standing Rock. That's right, Audio, and she came in a giving way. She actually brought hundreds of gifts to present to anyone who would stand in line. She brought sage bundles, tobacco, um, custom art, her father's CDs and DVDs, and she also presented special gifts of eagle feathers and a coyote tooth necklace to special people who played a special role in her and her father's life. Also, a group of drummers come uh, had come with a sacred drum, and they sang as she handed out the gifts. And after the giveaway, she led a group of several hundred people and marched out of camp up to the Backwater Bridge, which is one of the front lines. There she spoke about the power of prayer over violence and invoked the spirit of her father. On the walk back, I had the chance to speak with her one-on-one. This is what she had to say. Just tell me what brought you out here today in the spirit of your father. Actually, the one-year period of mourning is coming to a close for the family. And kind of as a send-off for Dad, and I know his spirit has been here in the camp. I could feel it. He has guided me this whole time. I wanted to physically represent him inside of the camp and really acknowledge the work that he did for the Indigenous people and the care that he had shown to them. He loved them. He was of the people, absolutely. And, and I wanted to encourage people to love and respect themselves as well as each other. And remember that we're standing for a peaceful cause. My dad was for the indigenous people for so long. Never one time was he violent. Never one time did he strike somebody, pick up a gun or be hurtful. He just spoke what he felt from the heart. And I wanted to really like keep that in tradition as I did this. And I also wanted to honor the people that are down here. They're fighting for our lives, literally. Standing for our lives, not fighting. It's important to maintain the prayers and the peace. And just remember why we're all here. It's not about us. Your father, John, like you said, has done many, many things for the indigenous community of this land. This beautiful camp that's before us, it's not just indigenous people here. It's the whole medicine wheel. The whole the whole wheel is represented in this camp. So how do you think he would feel to look upon this if he was here with us physically? He would love it. He would wholeheartedly approve of everything that's happening. As I said before, my dad believed that we were of all tribes. He, just, he believed that people descended from all tribes. And, and for the first time, they're all standing together from all over the world. The tribes have united. And it's a powerful thing. And I believe, this is what he believed in right here. He stood for this, and it's taking place. This is history in the making. But it's important to remember that as we do this, we need to transfer what happened from the past and grow and evolve from it. So we don't stay stuck in that anger because anger is destructive to yourself and to others. But when you pray and give love, you're encouraging your own growth as well as somebody else's. And towards the end, that was his message, to love yourself and give love. Love gives life. Nurture it. Celebrate it. Um, Talk about the power of prayer as you did back there in the circle. A lot of people um, may feel they want to come here. They want to confront 
the officers. And, you know, that has its place, a direct action. But talk about um, your opinion, the power of prayer over the power of uh, violence. I believe prayer is the greatest thing that you could give to somebody. And to remember to pray unselfishly. Don't pray for things that you want for yourself. Pray things that you wish to see for other people. I don't agree with the violence. I don't encourage it. Um, I believe that that gives them the opportunity and the reason to call us savages when we behave in a manner that gives credibility to their opinion of us. Stand in prayer. Be peaceful. As much as they try to antagonize us, if you remain in prayer and don't emotionally react to what they're doing, it's for the safety of yourself and others. And and that's really important because the camp is not just about the people. You're representing all tribes from all over the world. And the world is watching, as well as the creator. The lies that they tell will come to light. But only time has that magic. And it's important to trust it. The creator knows what he's doing. And and as dad walks with the ancestors, I feel humbled by that. I see see him now as a man more as much as I did my dad. Because for a long time, he was just my dad. And the way he had talked to everybody was basically the way he had talked to me my whole life. So I didn't really separate the two. You know what I mean? But as that's... As I have come down here and been with the people, it's become more obvious exactly what my dad's message was to me. And, and, and it's amazing to see how many people that he actually touched and how much his message was spread. I tried to incorporate him as much into the honoring of him as I did the people because I believe they are equal. As well as the earth and the water, this is our mother We need to love her and nurture her and take care of her and provide for her as she has provided for us. She protects us, and in return, we need to give that same energy back to her and protect her as well. I think you did an excellent job in honoring everyone here today. And I would just lastly ask you, as people go to that bridge and to that space, how important do you think it is to keep the hearts of the DAPL workers, the officers, how important is it to keep their hearts in our prayers when we pray at this and these places when i say pray for the people i mean all of them there is no separation in that because i don't believe that all of the officers are against what we're doing but but in the same aspect that's how they provide for and take care of their families a lot of them are just doing their job some however have that hate in their heart and you need and, and i believe that they need to be prayed for more than anybody else Remember to pray, always pray for somebody that you view as your enemy. Because in reality, they're just another human being that's walking this earth trying to figure it out. And and it's important to recognize and acknowledge that. I don't agree with a lot of their behavior, but instead of fighting them, I pray for them. Instead of emotionally reacting to what they want, I think about what they're doing. And and, and in the best manner, manner to react to that. That's very important. Well, lastly, before I let you go, what's your message to folks still at home? Participate in what's happening here. There's beautiful things happening here. If you can't come out and participate, pray. Pray for the people. Pray for peace and love and coherent, positive energies of the people that that are able to make it out. And if you can, donate. 
please donate to the camp as they're trying to get winterized. The, the health of the people is very important as well as the spirit of them. And, and it's important to remain uplifting to that and celebrate what's actually taking place here. I know it gets a lot of negative at attention. However, it gets a lot of positive attention too. Though people tend to not look to the positivity as much as they do the negativity, it's here and it needs to be nurtured and cared for. A seed has been planted within the spirit of the people and it needs to grow. Sage Shadell, thank you for um, coming out here. Thank you for your gifts. I got a couple of CDs out. Oh, I appreciate you. that. And uh, we'll continue to carry on your father's name. Absolutely. Love and prayers to all. And, you know, Miniwachoni, yeah. stand with Standing Rock. Thank you. Miniwachoni, thank you. Yes, Miniwachoni, water is life. Miniwachoni. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM, Pacifica's mothership station, KPFA in Berkeley. This is Free Will and Franklin alongside Audio Desperado, Ephraim Colbert. What we just heard was Sage Trudell talk talking with my co-host, Free Will and Franklin, Sage had just finished speaking at the Backwater Bridge near Achete Sakowin Camp. She was there at Sacred Stone to present the spirit of her father, American Indian activist John Trudell. She also touched on the power of prayer, uh, pray for all people, and pray unselfishly. And I think that's an important point that she made. And the whole thing was a beautiful ceremony audio. And as you mentioned, she had just spoke at the Backwater Bridge, one of the front lines. And I did record that. And it would be posted. It will be posted online at kpfaapprentice.org after the show, along with all the interviews I have now edited, including Buffalo Child, a keeper of a special chinupa, that's a sacred pipe, um, the lawyer collective we played earlier, the actress Shailene Woodley from the Divergent Films, Fred Johns, an Alaskan elder, talking about his journey through boarding school and battling and defeating alcoholism. Also, the effects of intergenerational trauma on him and his family. And I will be posting there also some of the songs and drums that I have collected. And I hope you all get a chance to go online after the show and listen to those other interviews and songs. Once again, give us about an hour after the show. That's kpfaapprentice.org. AD? We sure heard a lot about John Jadell from his daughter Sage, as she mentioned. Uh, John was a national spokesman of AIM. That's the American Indian Movement from 1972 through 79. Some things our listeners may or may not know. He was part of the takeover of Alcatraz and in 1969 uh, broadcast the first radio-free Alcatraz right here on KPFA. Something we at KPFA carry on till this day, every Indigenous People's Day and Thanksgiving. That's right. And, you know, the apprentices are a big part of that along with Dev and the La Onda crew. Um, also, his life was struck with a great tragedy when in 1979, his wife, three children, and mother-in-law were killed in a suspicious fire on the Shoshone Paiute Reservation. The fire was only 24 hours after he and a group of folks burnt an American flag on the steps of the FBI building in Washington, D.C. Many people believe the suspicious fire was arson and retaliation for the protest. Now, I don't know about you, Frank, but in my mind, there's no doubt it was. You cannot trust the feds. John Tudell, poet, musician, activist, and much, much more. Up next, we have Earthling off his album, Wazzy's Dream, the last album he recorded with his band, Bad Dog.
of the earth. I carry the energy. I carry the energies of the suns and universes. Of the suns and universes. From the time, from the time before, before time, time into the beyond, 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 beyond. beyond, beyond. From where stars get their light into the breath, breathing life. Earthlings, I am of a species of the earth, as are the plants, the stones, the waters, the forest, the birds, the insects, the fire, the reptiles, and the mammals. We all are part of the life energy. Earthling, I am of a subspecies of the mammals. I am of the human being, being human. My energies are in my being as spirit. I am no more important nor less important in spirit being than any other of the species. Welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, California. Tonight we have been bringing you sounds from Standing Rock. That was John Trudell with his song, Earthling, off his album, Wazi's Dream. As we reported in our first Standing Rock show two weeks ago, a large group of 2,000-plus veterans self-mobilized and deployed to Standing Rock to aid the water protectors in their fight against the Black Snake. That's right. And while they were there, they participated in a special healing ceremony where, acting as the conscience of the nation, they apologized for the sins of the United States committed against original people of this land. Let's listen to a clip of that moment. We came here to be the conscience of the nation. And within that conscience, we must first confess our sins to you because many of us we particularly are from the units that have hurt you over the many years. We came, we fought you, we took your land, we signed treaties that we broke, we stole minerals from your sacred hills, we blasted the faces of our presidents onto your sacred mountain, and we took still more land, and then we took your children, and then we took, tried to take your language. We tried to eliminate your language that God gave you and that the Creator gave you. We didn't respect you. We polluted your earth. We've hurt you in so many ways. And we've come to say that we are sorry. We are at your service. We beg for your forgiveness. Peace. 
Tony, welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. That song you just heard was the song they save at the forgiveness ceremony. And there was more words um, that were spoke than you heard right there in the ceremony. And we'll post a link to the complete video on our webpage at kpfaapprentice.org. And we're just going to kind of reflect on that moment for a minute because I don't know if you could hear in the background, but there was a lot of sniffing and emotions really... um, touched at that moment and i think if you'll see if you watch the video uh, there was not a dry eye in the house and i believe this was a very powerful moment that the um, veterans did in actually asking for forgiveness you know yes i would definitely have to agree with you on that yeah go ahead i just believe it's like the beginning of a healing moment you know and as um leonard crow dog spoke he talked about bringing world peace and this is a step towards that. You can't really heal until you acknowledge the um, the past sins that you've committed. And um, I'll just leave it at that. But I believe it was a very touching moment. I'll encourage all of you to go to our website tonight a little bit after the show. And we'll post a link to that YouTube video. Yes, sir. And um, I don't know if you stayed in touch with uh, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. But he had also mentioned that. It was the process of them admitting to their crimes that really helped South Africa get through apartheid. So it's good to see that at least some people are acknowledging what is going on. Tonight, as we talk about Standing Rock and all the people from all over the planet, really, that have traveled there to defend the sacred, we want to remind our listeners that we have our own struggles right here at home in the Bay Area. Yeah, and we have a chance to help defend the sacred right here in West Berkeley. It's known by some as the West Berkeley Shell Mounds. 
Others could identify the location as the block bordered by Hearst and University Avenue and 4th Street and the railroad tracks over there in Berkeley. Um, This is one of many shell mounds in the Bay Area. Frank, for those unaware, uh, listeners, even myself, uh, what are the shell mounds? You know, I'm learning myself as well, and tonight we're going to find out more. But these are nearly 6,000-year-old shell mounds that are sacred places, even burial grounds, to the Bay Area's original inhabitants, the Ohlone people. Tonight we'll spend the remainder of our show learning about the shell mounds and also ways we can help. Tonight to help us in, we have with us uh, Ohlone Sacred Sites Protector, Karina Gold. Uh, Karina Gold is a Cochino... Chochenyo. Chochenyo. Karkin, a lonely woman who was born and raised in Huchin, a.k.a. Oakland. She's also one of the founders of Indian Peoples Organizing for Change. Uh, Karina, welcome to Full Circle here on KPFA. You're on the air with myself and Audio Desperado. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Karina, can you tell us about the shell mounds around the Bay Area? Sure. Um... They're, the shell mounds are actually the cemeteries of the um, the Ohlone people, or Lashan in our language here in Chochenyo territory. Um, there was over 425 of them that used to ring the entire Bay Area. Generally, they're found where fresh water meets salt water, um, and they were monuments that our ancestors built here that were al- along the Bay. So we actually had places where we buried our ancestors, and over thousands of years, these places got larger and larger. So they weren't just about a cemetery. Like sometimes we think about in the city realm that a cemetery is a one plot and then everybody lives, you know, elsewhere. We actually lived and had villages um, where our shell mounds were. The shell mounds were used for places also where we had ceremonies on top of them. Uh, They were places where people could look out and see across the bay, the different fires that were going, you know, and some of the oldest ones, uh, the oldest one is in West Berkeley, but one of the largest ones was in Emeryville. It was so huge, it was on an 1857 Coast Survey map, so people coming into the bay could use it as a point of reference. Wow. So how big would you say, like, in, like, compared to a football field, or how high compared to, like, uh, how many story building? So the Emeryville shell mound was three stories high, three and a half football fields big. So it was a massive funerary complex that was there. Um, What archaeologists believe is that there was five of them there. So it took up a large piece of land. So just like when we're talking about the 4th Street one, it's not just the parking lot we're talking about. We're talking about a huge area um, that was encompassed not only the shell mound but the village site. So we're talking about a landscape so that went from all the way to sec from second all the way down to a product park. Wow. It was a vast place um, that people lived, well, like cities today. Well, let's talk about the West Berkeley Shell Mound. What is the state of this sacred space as we speak? And then tell us what's happening with this new proposed development. So the West Berkeley Shell Mound is the first place people ever lived in the entire Bay Area. Uh, it's the oldest of the shell mounds. It's the last open space that's in that territory right now. There's, you know, it's, you know, blocked by commerce and apartment buildings and the railroad tracks and all of these other things. And there's a developer that wants to come in and actually uh, 
put a five-story apartment building, shopping, restaurant, uh, parking lot on top of this last piece of open space. It's designated as a landmark in the city of Berkeley. It's also a state historic landmark, and it qualifies for a national historic place. Um, and so they figured out the parameters in 2003 uh, with an archaeologist of how big the Shell Mound was. And we know that uh, right across the street um, where Spangers parking, where Spangers is, and on the corner they're doing new development. This past spring they unearthed five of my ancestors there. Uh, we know that uh, the Shell Mound goes underneath uh, the railroad tracks in Truett and White. Um, that's all designated uh, area. Um, one of the developers saying is that there's no shell mound or no burial sites that are directly on the in the parking lot, and then and the, at the same breath they're saying, well, we don't know if we're going to hit something. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, yeah, so there are a couple of guys, archaeologists, that claim and they're studying the area of the parking lot that they have not found evidence there that the shell mounds are part of the area, and the same statement. He notes that it's possible that a full evacuation of the site might yield different results. Can you maybe talk about this evaluation of the site? Yeah, um, the environmental impact report, which came out November 14th, is really flawed in that kind of way. And I'll tell you why. Um, Because we're looking at not just where the direct shell mound was. And like I said, there's burials on all sides of that. But we also know that there's pieces, there's information that was left out of the archaeologist's report. So most people in Berkeley know that there was a grocery outlet that's right uh, diagonal from where we're talking about here. They had to do an environmental impact report on that particular site. And in that, in that uh, report, they talk about the uh, 300 bodies that was taken out of there by a French guy um, in the early 1900s. But they left that information out of this particular environmental impact report. So there's some stuff that's missing there. Um, they also should not have ever dug on the parking lot again after the parameters of this landmark was created. It's actually a felony to destroy uh, a site that, uh, that's a landmark, and that was allowed to happen. They don't know if they're going to find anything because this was a village site. So things have moved along in the bay. The uh, water still comes up. The water table is still close to the, um, to the underneath the ground, really close. And so things move and adjust and shift. And so they are unable to tell us that because uh, this is a village site. It's a place where people live for thousands of years. And so there's burials there. Things have been moved. Um, and we also know that, um, that, the shell, that there's burials all around it. It rings the entire place. Well, before we get into how we could help, talk a little bit about the film that um, has been made, Beyond Recognition, where you lay out some of this story. So Beyond Recognition is a story about how we came up with an idea of creating a land trust. It's the first Native women, indigenous, urban land trust ever created in the United States. And the reason that we got to this point about creating a land trust was specifically about talking about these shell mounds that are all over the Bay Area. For over 20 years, Indian people organizing for change has been working on bringing recognition to these sacred places that the Bay Area doesn't regularly see. Um, These places are older than the pyramids in Egypt, yet nobody talks about them or knows about them that live here. 
In 2011, we actually reoccupied our, some of our territory up in Vallejo, which is a site called Segorite, and it had two shell mounds that was on there. It's the last 15 acres of open land there, and the city of Vallejo was willing to um, to tear up the land and the, and the sacred shell mounds there um, in order to create a park. And so when we took that land over, um, one of the lessons that we came away with after staying there for 109 days um, was that uh, we could have probably worked with the city of Vallejo as a land trust in order to protect it. It's protected now because a federally recognized tribe came in and um, created a cultural easement with the city and the park district of Vallejo. Had we had that, um, had the land trust at that time, we could have done the exact same thing. And so now we're looking at doing organizing in different ways, not just about protesting, not just about um, occupying land, but also working within city boundaries to figure out how can we then take over and steward our own land again and take care of these sacred places the way that they're supposed to and have it be accessible not only to Ohlone people, but to other people that now live here on our territory. Well, um, I want to ask one more question before we get into how we could help, but why is it do you think that these symbols and these um, structures are not as respected and revered as you mentioned, like the pyramids in Egypt or the the pyramids and the, um, the structures in South America? What is it with the shell mounds that people seemed okay to just destroy them? I think that we have to talk about colonization and the way that people came in and took over territories that weren't, wasn't theirs. In Egypt, there are still people that are, that are historically connected to that that have had power in those areas. Um, and the same happened in Mexico and Central and South America, that there are still people that have connections to those lands. Here we were colonized first by the Spanish and then by the time, uh, and then Mexico, and then by the time America got here, they had really figured out how to destroy and erase the uh, Native people in this area. And so um, anything that was created prior to America being created, any cemeteries, does not have the same legal um, protection as cemeteries that were created afterwards. Wow. So my, yeah, so like my parents are, you know, they're buried up at St. Mary's up in the hills of Oakland, um, and those have way more protections than the, the burials of my ancestors that are underneath Emeryville or underneath, uh, you know, West Berkeley Shell Mound. And, of course, it would have been great to um, continue to bury our relatives at our ancestral grounds. Um, we're going to run out of time soon. I want to uh, get to the point here of what we're doing to try to help. I understand there's a deadline coming up for the public to comment and to have an impact on the outcome of the situation. Tell our listeners what they can do to help you. We need people to write letters that directly talk to the environmental impact report. And they need to go to Shannon Alley Allen, the city of Berkeley planning office, and they need to send them to 1947 Center Street on second floor before January 12th, 5 p.m. Uh, we need people to talk directly to how the environmental impact report is flawed according to the um, according to the way the archaeology was done. We need to let them know that there was a resolution that was passed by the city of Berkeley to actually honor the Berkeley Shell Mound, an indigenous sacred site. We need to um, ask people to um, send in these public comments because they legally have to respond to everything that comes from this uh, from the public about that, and that's going to take us a couple of months to get through. 
I also need people to go onto our Facebook uh, page. Um, it's the West Berkeley Shell Mound. Ask to join it. We'll give you updates. There's a letter that's online there that they could look at, they could use um, to, to create their own line. Um, we are also looking for funding to pay for our legal fund to protect the Shell Mound, and they can donate. Uh, there's a, a place for them to donate there. And we're also going to be having a interfaith prayer service at the West Berkeley Shell Mound on Jan- Sunday, January 8th from 1 to 3 o'clock, and the, and the public is welcome to come and be a part of that. And all you listeners out there, we will post a link to Karina's website on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. All of you regular listeners, um, be sure after the show, give us a little time to upload. And then go to our website, kpfaapprentice.org, and help out in this battle here because we're trying to connect the dots from Standing Rock you know, to right here in the Bay Area. We can stand up like they are there and um, help keep this sacred site here um, sacred and preserved as much as it can be and maybe even un you know, re-exposed um, to the sun in some places. Um, Karina, we have to um, say goodbye to you. Uh, Karina Gould, thank you very much. Uh, Karina is a lonely woman and sacred sites protector. She's been telling us about the sacred site right here in Berkeley in the Bay Area, the West Berkeley Shell Mound in particular. Karina, thank you for joining us tonight, and I hope that we get some people to reach out and to send those letters and um, respond to your call. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, thank you, Karina. Um, good night. Good night. And again, you can learn more about uh, Karina's work at her Facebook page at West Berkeley Shell Mound. We're coming towards the end of our show and coverage of the Standing Rock protests. Uh, be sure to hear more audio and interviews at our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Again, that is kpfaapprentice.org. Before we go into reflection, um, the station is about $60,000 short of its goal. Please uh, go ahead and go online to kpfa.org, and you can still you can still donate online. Mm-hmm. So if you felt the need and you held out to the end and you didn't get a chance, please, we could still use your donations. And you could also donate anytime to kpfa.org. And... Um, If you appreciate the work that we did and the report backs that we've been bringing from Standing Rock and all the news that we help bring, and not only that, all the training that we give uh, these young apprentices here to learn radio, give us a click at kpfa.org sometime during um, this broadcast or this coming week and donate what you can. Yes, sir. And we have been... We covered a lot within these two past uh, broadcasts. And that's not even all of it. Yeah. (laughs) So please, again, go to kpfaapprentice.org if you wanted to hear more. But, uh, Frank, I mean, I really wanted to touch base with you. I know we only have a few minutes left. Do you feel more connected to your people after attending these events at Standing Rock? I feel like it was a great spiritual connection to people that have lost touch with their culture, such as I. Um, I heard my own people sing there with the gourds. We use a rattle in my tribe the Rincon uh, San Luceno Rincon Band, and I also got to hear the sacred drum beat and the songs that, you know, even though you don't understand them, they, you know, evoke emotions inside you. So I think it totally does reconnect us. Right on. And what do you think we should do to keep energy behind Native causes? I mean, tonight we went over a little bit about the local shell mounds as well as financial action that can be taken through the legal collective in North Dakota. But what do you think we could also do or (coughs) expand on while there is energy behind these causes? 
Well, I kind of printed up a, um, a press release from the Environmental Indigenous Environmental Network. It's a little long. I'll see if I could read it in before we get out of here. Um, this is a critical moment in the fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. The Army Corps of Engineers' decision not to grant the final easement to the pipeline company without further review was a tremendous victory. But we know it's um, just temporary, and we will have to keep the battle up, especially with the Trump administration coming in. Um, in the response to the order of the pause of construction until further review, Energy Transfer Partners, the company behind the Dakota Access Pipeline, has made it clear that they will pursue completion of the pipeline during this period of de-escalated conflict. And we will remain watchful, and we will keep you all posted. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and try to wrap this up really quickly. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks to our guests tonight, Karina Gold. We will link to all her information, including the short film Beyond Recognition, on our webpage at kpfaapprentice.org. There you can also listen to all the interviews Franklin collected while at Standing Rock and see photos he took, as well as photos of us and some of our guests. Also, all the links to Standing Rock will be posted there, the Legal Collective, and more. Please take the time to check it out. And we want to also remind you that if you appreciate this work we did, please donate on kpfa.org. And a big thanks to all that have donated so far. Also, don't forget that the KPFA Craneway Pavilion Craft Fair is tomorrow and Sunday. Be sure to stop by this beautiful location and support KPFA in that way and get some great gifts, too. We've been your host. I'm Freewell and Franklin. And I'm Ida Desperado with Fran Culber. We're going to be ending the show with a song by Weed Rat, Native American punk band. Shouts out to Weed Rat, Rebecca Jones. Stay tuned to La Onda Baita. Peace.